0: Can anyone be found who would prefer wasting away in pain, dying limb by limb, or letting out his life drop by drop rather than expiring once for all? Can any man be found willing to be fastened to the accursed tree, long sickly, already deformed, swelling with ugly wheels on shoulders and chest, and drawing the breath of life amid long drawn-out agony, he would have many excuses for dying, even before mounting the cross. These are the words of uh, the ancient writer Seneca in Epistle 101 to uh, Lucilius, and there he's arguing that it would be better for someone to commit suicide than to die of crucifixion. Have you ever been out in public and seen someone being tortured? Have you ever seen someone publicly executed? Now. I haven't, and I'd imagine that a lot of the people who are listening to this would be in my similar situation. Maybe you have. Maybe you've seen someone imitate something on the cross. Uh, But for many of us, uh, the question itself sounds strange. Have I seen someone being tortured? But if it does sound strange to you, it only highlights how far removed we are from the first century Roman Empire. We're coming now to the climax of Matthew's Gospel in the Crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. Compared to the amount of description that we find elsewhere, the actual events of crucifixion don't get much real estate. We just simply read of the event as part of a subordinate clause. When they crucified him, they divided his garments. Matthew 27:35. It reads almost anticlimactically. Now, the best explanation for the crucifixion not being described in much detail is because it would have been such a common occurrence. A low estimate is that the Romans crucified around 30,000 people, mostly slaves and the lower class, but occasionally a Roman citizen or someone from the upper class is crucified, and usually for more severe crimes like treason. Again, most of us have never witnessed anything like this, but for Matthew's readers, This would have been part of their assumed prior knowledge. So, part of our interpretation of Matthew 27 requires an overview of the historical realities concerning Roman crucifixion. The Romans did not invent crucifixion. Herodotus tells us that the Persians executed people uh, via crucifixion. Darius, the one who usually gets such a good rap in the Bible, is reported as having crucified 3,000 Babylonians when he took over. Crucifixion was also practiced by the Assyrians, the Scythians, the Indians, the Carthaginians, the Celts, the Britons, and the Germans. It was certainly taken over by the Greeks. Alexander the Great at one point crucified 2,000 survivors of the Siege of Tyre. We might wonder if it was practiced by the Jewish people, and there actually are some rare cases. Uh, Alexander Janius crucified 800 Pharisees who resisted his efforts being loyal to Torah a Deuteronomy 21:23 mentions being cursed by being hung on a tree. Now, this isn't quite crucifixion, but it's not not crucifixion either. It's a larger umbrella category that would include it. The idea of publicly shaming someone by hanging their corpse up uh, can be found in the Old Testament. It's what the Philistines did to Saul after they killed him. Uh, in fact, the same word that's normally translated crucifixion, uh, storao, occurs in Greek Esther to describe the hanging of Haman. I remember when he is hung because uh, of what he does. The Qumran community with the Dead Sea Scrolls also connects Deuteronomy 21:23 and the punishment of hanging people for serious crimes. But the ones who perfected, if I could use that word, uh, crucifixion and most widely practiced it were the Romans. Two major features of crucifixion call for our attention. It was a form of execution meant to maximize both pain and shame. Concerning pain, the basic idea was to affix the subject to a cross in such a way as to slowly bring about his or her death, normally by blood loss or by asphyxiation. Now, Now, the way individuals were crucified varied. The ancient Roman uh, Seneca the Younger writes, quote, I see crosses there, not just of one kind, but made in many different ways. Some have their victims with head down to the ground. Some impale their groins. Others stretch out their arms on a gibbet. End quote. Gerald O'Collins has an excellent entry in the Anchor-Yale Bible Dictionary. He writes, quote, Under the Roman Empire, crucifixion normally included a flogging beforehand. At times, the cross was only one vertical stake. Frequently, however, there was a cross piece attached, either at the top to give the shape of a T, or just below the top, as in the form most familiar in Christian symbolism. The victims carried the cross, or at least a transverse beam called the patibulum, to the place of execution, where they were stripped and bound or nailed to the beam, raised up and seated on a sedile or a small wooden peg in the upright beam. Ropes bound the shoulders or torso to the cross. The feet or heels of the victims were bound or nailed to the upright stake. End quote. Now to this we can add that Jesus was most likely crucified in a T, like a lowercase t fashion. Um, The reason we know that it's at least in the shape of a T is because in a lot of early Christian writings, they do some weird things with the uh, numerology associated with the letter T. Now, often the the cross beam was uh, put around the nape of the neck like a yoke with the condemned arms pulled back and hooked down over it. Now, most of our evidence for crucifixion is literary, but we do actually have some archaeological data An ossuary, which is a a burial bone box, was found in 1968 of a man who was crucified with a nail still through his foot. Uh, This particular individual uh, now seems uh, to have been crucified with his legs straddling the cross, so the nails come in from either side. But we really have so many statements about the variety of forms of people being crucified that there's no reason to think this is how Jesus would have been executed uh, to have his feet uh, surrounding the the vertical post. Uh, People, again, were crucified in all sorts of different ways, sometimes because there just wasn't enough wood. If people were crucified by the thousands, they would be nailed up on walls or nailed up in all sorts of different positions, and the the variety was only limited by the creativity of the sadistic soldiers. The pain of crucifixion would have been, well, excruciating. In fact, that's the Latin, Latin etymology of the word, out of the cross. The subject literally tortures himself depending on the instinct for uh, self-preservation as he pulls himself or herself up from the awkward position in which uh, he or she was nailed, pulling up again uh, on the cross. Eventually, the muscles give way and the victim would suffocate. To expedite the process, the legs could be broken and then asphyxiation would come more quickly. On the other hand, uh, recall this uh, sedil which was described earlier, the little seat sticking out on the cross. Now, initially, to many of us, this may appear as an act of mercy to provide relief. You've got a little seat to sit on. But actually, just the opposite was the case. By uh, relieving the pressure, uh, the victim would have more energy to endure a longer crucifixion and death, as a result, would come more slowly. In many cases, the process lasted day. After agonizing day, the suffering was worsened by animals that would come by and uh, the victim would be unable to ward them off. And again, death often came by asphyxiation. In other cases, blood loss would be severe enough uh, to die that way. Crucifixion was often paired with flogging, the process of whipping with leather straps, sometimes connected to pieces of bone or sharp metal. Jewish law put a limit on how many times a person could be flogged, uh, namely 40, but Romans had no upper limit. And we do have accounts of individuals dying just from being flogged. Now, though part of the horrors of crucifixion involved its incredible pain, the other element may not be so obvious to some of us listening to uh, this episode. It's uh, the context of shame. Victims were often crucified at the location of their crime or on a busy place of traffic. Quintilian, the first century author, uh, approved of crucifixion as a deterrent for future crimes. He wrote, quote, Whenever we crucify the guilty, the most crowded roads are chosen, where the most people can see and be moved by this fear. For penalties relate not so much to retribution as to their exemplary effect. End quote. Uh, For this reason, victims would wear either their accusation around their neck or it would be fixed to the cross, uh, uh, called the titillus. So as not only to humiliate the offender, but also to serve as a warning to anyone else contemplating the same crime. Now, in an honor-shame culture like that of the ancient Near East, it's hard to overestimate the horror of this shame. On special occasions, the subject would be allowed a loincloth, but the normal practice was for victims to be crucified naked. Uh, Certainly, the Gospel accounts of the Lord's crucifixion do not suggest that the Roman soldiers were giving Jesus any special favors. Now, the consequence of the shame and the pain of crucifixion explains why the Jewish leaders were eager to have Jesus crucified. Such a person was, again, according to Deuteronomy, considered abandoned and cursed by God. A crucified person is the ultimate expression of defeat. It may be that this is the reason that they don't just kill Jesus. Now, they don't have the ability to publicly execute him, but that doesn't stop the Jewish leaders from killing other individuals uh, in the biblical story. But they specifically seem to want him to die by means of crucifixion. Uh, so that way to heap dishonor and shame on Jesus and his whole movement. Um, It has been well said that to speak of a crucified Messiah would have sounded as contradictory as a married bachelor. How could you have a losing winner? A crucified Messiah just doesn't make any sense. Justin Martyr, in his apology, describes the viewpoints of those who reject the Christian message. Quote, they say that our madness consists in the fact that we put a crucified man in second place after the unchangeable and eternal God, the creator of the world, end quote. Or we could go back even further. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, The message of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. This foolishness is demonstrated by an early piece of graffiti called the Grotto of Alex Eminos. It's etched into stone, but a quick Google search if you'd like to do that would turn up rubbings, which are easy enough to see. Uh, There's a figure looking up in worship uh, to someone else on a cross who has the head of a donkey, and sprawled across the bottom in in rough-looking Greek reads, Alexamenas worships God. This, according to the 1st and 2nd century onlookers, would have been the strange contradiction of the crucifixion. Later heretical Christian writings Uh, attempted to downplay the obvious scandal that's there. The Gospel of Peter, for example, in 4.10, has Jesus being silent as if he felt no pain. And the Apocalypse of Peter, 82 to 83, has the spirit of Christ hovering over the body of Jesus, untouched and even laughing as men only attack his image. But the Christian response has always been, the true Christian response, that is, uh, to acknowledge the strange paradox of Christ crucified. In fact, the Christian writer Melito of Sardis, around the 2nd century, captures the scandal of the gospel when he writes as follows, He who hung the earth in its place hangs there. He who fixed the heavens is fixed there. He who made all things fast is fast upon the tree. The master has been insulted God has been murdered. The King of Israel has been slain by an Israelite hand. O oh, strange murder, strange crime! The master has been treated in unseemly fashion, his body naked, and not even deemed worthy of a covering that his nakedness might not be seen. Therefore, the lights of heaven turned away, and the day darkened, that it might hide him who was stripped upon the cross. The horror of crucifixion, including both its pain and shame, is an important background. Uh, for understanding the Gospels. It shows the lengths of Jesus' obedience, the one who, being in the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Uh, This background information is important in knowing what Jesus actually is signing up for when he boldly claims his true identity, that he is the Son of God who sits with God in heaven and so seals his own fate before the Sanhedrin, as well as he is being silent before Pilate. Moreover, lest we think that the Christian life is easy breezy, a walk in the park, a brief overview of crucifixion like the one we've just seen should also shed light on the weightiness of Jesus' statement If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me.